Hello, and welcome to PW's LitCast, a podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with innovative, exciting authors. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Sarah Jensen and Maynard James Keenan, co-authors of A Perfect Union of Contrary Things, which is published by Backbeat Books, the sponsor of today's podcast. Hello, Sarah and Maynard. So glad you could join us. Hi, thank you. So this is a pretty cool book. This is basically a biography written by Sarah Jensen with Maynard. And Maynard, as our audience may or may not know, is best known as the vocalist for the alternative metal group Tool, among other bands. And Sarah is a writer who has known Jim now for 30 years. So I want to ask, how did this book first come about? Uh, Well, when you're approaching your 50th year, you're kind of looking back and see see where you came from um, to figure out where you're going. I started messing around with the idea of the biography right around 2009. I had kind of met with a few people through our uh, agent, through our lawyers uh, in L.A., the music, kind of the music side of things. And those people were, you know, very capable, but it seemed, I don't know, they seemed kind of boring. I didn't, I, they don't know me. I just felt like there was such a hurdle to get over with understanding, them understanding where I came from. And most of them were from areas that have nothing to do with my past. So, you know, I just kind of put it on the back burner because it just didn't, it didn't feel right. Um, and I had one of those, you know, wake up in the morning one day and just kind of go, oh, shit. So, uh, you know, I completely understand that, you know, wanting to work with someone who had who who could, you know, help put you in context, because I know it's uh, it's tough to place oneself in context as much as we would like to. But tell us a little bit about how you two knew each other and how it started. Uh, Maynard, did you just call up Sarah and or shoot her an email? How did it start? Um, I think it was over Indian food, and I just I, I wanted to gauge her reaction in person. Um, mm-hmm. I think she threw up. I remember. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> On the East Coast, uh, having dinner. Uh, her younger brother is my uh, is my one of my best friends from high school. Um, so that's how we met is through him. But uh, the actual approaching for the book was done over Indian food. And Sarah, tell us a little bit about your your initial uh, reaction, other than the the, the one that <laughs> Mater just described. And was that because of the, uh, the, the 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 fear of of embarking on a a book length project, or was it the Indian food itself? <laughs> <laughs> the food was great. Uh, the fear came later after I got into this. Um, my re- my initial reaction was total shock because we were talking about a whole bunch of other things. We were catching up and and talking about what we were doing in our own lives. And suddenly Maynard leaned across the table and said, I want to ask you a question. And if you know Maynard at all, you know that that question is probably going to have nothing to do with what you're actually talking about. So I had no idea what he was going to ask. And I said, sure, go ahead. He said would you be interested in writing my biography? It felt like everything I had ever done in my life had led to that moment. All the writing I had done, everything I had learned about publishing, it just was like, okay, here we go. And so how soon after that did the the process begin? Um, 
in writing it. And and I know it's uh, the way what 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 strikes me as interesting is uh, it's not a typical uh, autobiography, but though really a biography written closely with the subject. Whose idea was that? Was that something that was uh, that started from the beginning, or just as the writing was was in process? Yeah, I think that was just right from the beginning. I don't think we. Well, I remember thinking shortly after that night over Indian food, I remember thinking, how do you write a biography? I'd read plenty of biographies, but I think the the way we approached it was kind of organic. It's just the way it happened. We, I started doing interviews with Maynard, learning about his life, and you know, I was writing things, he was contributing things, that approach just sort of happened. Most journalists are very sensationalist. They'll they'll try to latch on to the things that are gonna get you know be clickbait and uh, gain headlines um, to f- kind of further their own career rather than kind of tell a story. And so where Sarah and I intersect is that we intersected on appreciating stories, mm-hmm. uh, Wings of Desire, Ben um, um, Bender's film, uh, Little Big. John Crowley. So I, I, I get that she's romantic, so she'll understand that this can't just be a, a play-by-play, step-by-step. So, and with anything, you know, with writing a record or building a house or whatever, if you think it's going to take two weeks, it's going to take six. You know, so always triple it. Whatever it is, it's going to be more difficult than you think it's going to be because there's going to be hurdles along the way. So so, Maynard, for someone who's a public figure like yourself, um, you must have had hesitations along the way to say, you know what, I, I don't want that in there. Uh, were, were there things that you didn't want in there that you said in, in the end saying, you know what, I have to have that in there in order to tell the whole story? Well, I'd already been, before I'd even approached Sarah, I'd, I'd talked about uh, this with uh, several other uh, writers and a couple other people who had their biographies published, Bowie. Uh, one of them, and you know, one of the things they warned me against was sour grapes. This is not, you know, the, the biography is not something you want to use to correct trajectories or, you know, air your dirty laundry. Those are those things are boring for people that really are actually interested in what you're doing. Uh, they're great for, you know, like I said, they're great for sensationalist press, but they're not great for actually getting across something that's going to inspire somebody. Yeah, and our reviewer really liked the book. I mean, it's a it's it's a solid book, as you could tell by you know our, our, our review. And and I think in the book you just you, you kind of describe yourself as a world a world class multitasker. At least we we referred to it in our review. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and how that has kind of helped your career or just your life in general? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess just being able to. You know, multitasking, I think, uh, is, that's the word I use, but as, if anyone has actually tried to multitask, it's, you're actually doing one thing at a time, but you're doing them efficiently and you're knowing when to change gears to do the next thing without uh, crowding yourself. So I think that's kind of how I've been able to do, you know, three bands, two wineries, two kids, good God. Um, <laughs> Just be able, because you have to do one thing at a time, and you just have to focus on it fully, give it your all, and then when you switch gears, you go f- 
fully into the other things. So it looks like multitasking from a distance, but you're actually doing one thing at a time. Well, it's it's amazing that you're doing all of that with, uh, as you just mentioned, two kids. Um, uh, I mean, you're also an actor, a comedian, but I'm really curious uh, about your, your winemaking and, and the place you're actually producing the grapes and making it. Could you tell us a little bit? I'm, I'm, I'm a big wine fan. Uh, I, I'm a big wine drinker. Uh, I've made wine before. My grandfather made it. Can you tell us a little bit how you got into that? I'm fascinated. Well, uh, I'll back up just a second and say if, if, uh, if you're a restaurateur or a chef and you've been boasting about how your restaurant features locally sourced uh, ingredients for all your cuisine and you don't have a local wine on your menu or a bunch of local wines on your menu, then you're missing a huge piece of the puzzle because nothing, zero, nothing screams local more than a well-made regional wine because that's half the reason people collect uh, DRCs and Burgundies is because they scream of a specific place. 20 meters to the left or 20 meters to the right, the wines become are different. So I think that's something that uh, it really screams of a story from a place, especially if you're getting out of the way and letting the grapes express themselves. Arizona has elements that if you're a fan of uh, all the world-class wines and all the world-class regions, words like volcanic influence, ancient limestone bed, elevation, all these things are in Arizona. It's just that prohibition pretty much made everybody pull the wines out. So we had to start over, and it all started over uh, in 1979, 1980. So I imagine the, uh, the, the taste of wine might be similar to that of maybe the, the wines of Sicily or outside of Naples or even Calabria, maybe to a lesser degree, but, but those two places in particular. Yeah, and Spain. And Spain. Well, lots of Spanish regions, and then dash in there a little bit of what you appreciate from Burgundy and Bordeaux, because of the limestone and because of the because it's actually, in, in a way, it's a cool climate because we're at elevation. We get snow in the winter. So it's not hot like you would think. Sarah, how was it working all these themes of Maynard's life into a book? I, I mean, when we're talking about multitasking, we're, we're talking about his varied interests, but in ways, it's all the same person. I mean, it is the same person, but, but it's just different aspects of the person. How did you handle that and structure that in the book? Oh, my. See, this is where the panic and the fear came in. But actually, when we first started, one of the first conversations Maynard and I had, and I think it might have been over breakfast the day after the Indian food dinner, we started by making a list of what the themes of the book should be. And I kept that in sight during the entire writing of the book. I think all of his activities, his multitasking, was easier to handle if I kept in mind the themes that ran through all of those different activities. So, Maynard, you grew up in the Midwest, and you served in the Army. Not unusual, I mean, somewhat unusual for uh, rock musicians uh, who kind of just go against the grain uh, and, and society, but how did that come about? How did your Army stint come about? And what effect might that have had, if anything, uh, on your music and your artistry? Um, well, I think, you know, I think, uh, of course, parenting, um, you, you have people who 
have the long the long goal in mind, the big picture, and they're thinking way ahead, um, and that influences you. Uh, some of those influences are listed in the book. Um, but understanding that a commitment toward the military at a point when I just wanted to go to art school, it was daunting once you got on the bus and you're realizing, oh, crap, I'm going to be locked away for three years, possibly dodging bullets. But it was a means to an end. The college fund was available. I wanted to go to art school. I wasn't sure what kind of funding I was going to get to go to art school at that point. So I figured I'd just put my three-year commitment in and use that money to go become a visual artist. That's amazingly proactive for, at the time, was a young man. <laughs> you talk about your move at some, you know, uh, later on in the book to Los Angeles in the 80s. Uh, you worked at a pet store, but you also befriended members of the band uh, Rage Against the Machine. That seemed like a, that, that time in your life was, uh, offered another change for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I think uh, as Sarah can probably echo, I like puzzles. Um, I like to solve things. Uh, so at that point in time, you know, you're watching all these people chasing their tails around L.A., trying to become famous. There's so many obvious pieces of that puzzle that became apparent. Like, well, you want to become famous. There's, well, let's start there. That's a problem. Uh, mm-hmm. You just have to love to make music. Jim Morrison didn't, I don't think he gave a shit about being famous. Uh, he just wanted to perform. He wanted to make music. I guess the, the solving of the puzzles was very apparent to me at that point when all these people were just wasting wasting their time and spinning their wheels. So I think it was kind of pivotal to see various people who actually had similar drive than I what I did. They just they wanted to create and they wanted to perform. And they weren't really concerned about how big it was going to be. There's a huge pocket of those people around Los Angeles, but a much larger group of people doing it wrong, I guess, would <laughs> be the description. So, I don't know, it just all fell into place, um, accidentally falling in with the right people. And then your artistry kicked in, or at least uh, uh, you were able to, to, to start working, start writing songs, forming a band. And Sarah, at one point you really wonderfully described, and this is a, you know, according to our review, how Keenan used a lyricist's talent for conflating the visual and the oral to create a provocative synesthesia. Do you want to expand a little bit more on that? <laughs> well, that was actually written to describe a poem he had written while he was in the Army. And he writes in this poem, the one line says, drawing pictures you can hear. Mm. That line from that poem is striking, but it also describes his future music. Like this poem was written, what, in the mid-80s, before he was in any bands. Drawing pictures you can hear. So that sort of conflating of the visual and the oral. Right. And I, I'm just going to end with this. At one point, uh, you write, quoting Jim, uh, most of it, meaning the success, was dumb luck and trust. You step over the edge into darkness, the bliss finds you. Do you still agree with that? Or do you still, is that something that you, you, you hold true to? Uh, yeah, I think there's, I think there's that, I guess that's where discipline comes in. Um, I think a lot of artists uh, avoid discipline like the plague. And then a lot of very disciplined people avoid the darkness like the plague. I think you've got to find that fine line, and you have to kind of tread it, because uh, life is short. You've got to get things done. That's where those things kind of happen when they start intermingling. Uh, anybody who's ever sat down with your compass and tried to draw a yin-yang symbol start to understand how 
they're inseparable, and that's kind of the point of that of that ancient symbol. I think that's that's where it all that's where it all happens, and you can't be afraid of it. And that describes the writing of the book perfectly, too. Well, I think we'll leave it at that as a great way to end. Sarah and Maynard, thanks for talking with me. And thank you, audience, for listening, and join us for the next LitCast.